Thanks for downloading this podcast from City Church Leeds. You join us as we're journeying through the book of John. We hope that it blesses, encourages and inspires you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he, comes af he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Praise God. What an amazing gospel this gospel of John is. It happens to be my favorite out of the four of them. Um, it goes further back than Genesis. Because in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But this says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God and His Word are one. His Word is, is creative force. It's, it's the very essence of who God is. The Logos, as you've probably heard. God said, and it was so. Genesis 1, verse 3. And uh, it's interesting that my son, my youngest son, um, <laughs> who has special needs, is an interesting character and he's very, very clued up on any Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks film. And when he enjoys things like planes and planes to fire and rescue, then he starts to talk about planes three, which didn't exist. But he'll keep speaking it until it does exist. And then in Romans it says that this is the God who calls the things that are not as though they were. And I believe he wants his people to learn to move in that sort of power. And my son's already started doing it. He doesn't know what he's doing, but it works. I don't know if he's got some secret phone line to Disney Pixar Studios, but he starts speaking this film number three, when film number three doesn't exist, and sure enough, sooner or later, film number three, he, talk, he talked about Cars 2 before Cars 2 was in existence. It starts to frighten me 
a little bit. Perhaps I need to learn from him. But that's the power of the Word. Tony Wastel, someone of you will know. Tony Wastel wrote a book some time ago called Your Word is Your World. It's very important what we say. God doesn't waste words at all. This opening account of the gospel connects his word, God himself and his word. It connects life and light. It says, in this very one who was the word, in the word itself, is life. And the life is the light of men. And when we go into John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Well, is it light or is it life? Is it life or is it light? And the answer is yes. Life is synonymous with light and vice versa. But interesting, darkness and death very often are linked together, aren't they? But this word and light, this word, in Psalm 119, it says this, the entrance of thy word brings light. It also says, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. (laughs) Praise God. We have to understand something about these two chapters. I know I've not read anything of John 2 yet. We'll come to that when my buzzer goes. I'm trying to be obedient and stick to the notes. I've never done it before. Been at this game over 20 years. I've not, not managed it yet. <coughs> I'm one of those people who wants to know what's over that hedge. Where does that lane lead to? That's why I have problems sticking to any sort of program. But I'll try. When we talk about this passage... Where we're coming to is verse 14, where it says that this Word, who was with God and is God, became flesh. And it's interesting, isn't it, that way back in Exodus, Moses wanted to know who was going to go with them. And when he spoke to God, God said, look, my presence will go with you. Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, no angel, no prophet, nothing else would do except God himself. It had to be God himself or Moses wasn't interested. Nothing else will work. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? In the first chapter of Hebrews, the first three verses, it says, in times past, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets in technically bits and pieces. But in these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son. 
In other words, the prophets might have been okay for an interim time, but sooner or later, the only thing that's going to make any difference is if God comes himself. Moses knew it. And now in this New Testament, in this new covenant, right at the very beginning of this account, it's this issue of God coming Himself. It's Himself that humanity needs. But here we've got God taking on the frailties of humanity. This is an amazing thing. Wesley wrote, Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. It's an amazing thing. The incarnation, God in the flesh, this incarnate Word, everything that God is, everything that God will speak, His creative power, all that He is, is now in this little baby held in a woman's arms, the very woman He created. It's just amazing, isn't it? Just phenomenal stuff. Michael Card wrote a song, and in this song it says, it's about Joseph saying, how can a man be father to the Son of God? Show me what my place is in this plan of yours. Instruction manuals were not enough. Mark and I, while we were having a cup of coffee earlier this morning, were saying, you know, there's this translation of the Bible, there's that translation, there's folk who know Greek and Hebrew, and all of this kind of things. And all those things can help us. But for me, the verse is there in John 5, where Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, He says, you think that by having the Scriptures, you've got eternal life. And yet these scriptures are those that speak about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, it was never enough just to have the scriptures. God had to come himself and reveal himself as a human being. His aim, of course, was to restore the break that came when Adam fell. I personally believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the prototype of true humanity. He was the model. You know what a prototype is? A prototype motor car is that one that they make and they think they've tried everything else out and yes, now this is the one. So all the models that you buy are based on that one. That's the first of all these new models that are coming out. Jesus was the first. He was the prototype of humanity. In other words, we're all meant to be like Him. Hallelujah. God in the flesh. Let me just read a little bit from 1 Corinthians 15. Just as John's my favorite gospel account... 1 Corinthians 15 is one of my favorite bits of Paul's writing simply because it's always talking about resurrection. It's all about resurrection. But in verse 45 it says this, it excites me this. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. It is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. 
The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man who is from heaven. What a promise for you and me. We are in the process of bearing the image of this Word made flesh. Well, cheer up, that's the good news. <laughs> this eternal Son of God made flesh, the Word made flesh, came to be like us in order to make us like Him. And when we're in Christ, that's our new address, isn't it? In Christ. In Christ. We take it so lightly. Those, that, those two words just roll off the tongue ever so easy. We're in Christ. But what does it mean? We're incorporated to Him. You know, it's, it says that the hope of glory is Christ in us, isn't it? Now, is Christ in us or are we in Christ? Same answer, yes. And I used to think that inside me, I don't know how God did it, but there's this little fella that's bigger than the universe, but it actually is in me. But it's better than that, because as we are given to him by faith, there's a weaving goes on, and it's, it's not that he's inside me, but separate to me, if you see what I mean. It, but he's integrated, and we're integrated to him, and we don't know which is which. And God's intention in this is when you're ministering to someone on the street, praying for them, or giving them an encouraging word, like you're rubbish. No, that, that was one of Les Dawson's. Sorry about that. <laughs> you know, when you're trying to encourage, or you do an act of kindness, what's happening? An impression of the Christ is being left. And you might think it's nothing. You may ne never see any result of it. But I'm telling you, if you're in Christ today and you meet with another person, you shake their hand and bless them in some way or other, you don't even have to say those words, then that word who was made flesh is coming through you and touching their lives. I know it's a matter of faith, but we need to get our heads around this. We are not also rams. We're king's kids. We bear his image. The image is being reformed in you and me. Why is that? Because we're part of this one who came in the flesh. Praise God. Well, it's interesting. Thank God for the last Adam. In this gospel, you'll find out from the notes as well, <clears throat> rather than calling these things that Jesus did miracles, John re reveals them as signs. Now, a sign is an interesting thing. <clears throat> in uh, Exodus, we, we reveal that it's revealed that there was this sign introduced to the Israelites called circumcision. It was a sign of the covenant that the people were in. Did you know that circumcision is still important today? See all the men crossing the legs? Excuse me. 
But circumcision, I mean, I don't know how you'd go, I bear a thought for Abraham. I don't want to get crude today, but think of him for a minute. Nobody had ever done that before. And he's saying to all his male servants, now guys, this is what we're going to do today. And they had no anaesthetic, you know. And he did it to himself. I mean, I don't fancy you sewing on, I just don't fancy it really. However, that's what they did, but it's still a sign of the covenant. But this time, it's not in the flesh by the hands of men, it's upon your heart by the Spirit of God. There is a sign. You know, a sign is a reality that leads to a greater reality. I saw some signs today and it said, leads. And that, if I had to bang my head on that sign, it, I, I can tell you, I'd have cut my head because it's real. But it's, it points to a greater reality. And these signs that Jesus did, we've even seen it in, in the introduction there. All of them were so we would believe. And when we come to this first sign that Jesus accomplished, this, this turning water into wine, it's, it's said there, and his disciples believed in him. They put their faith in him. And that's the purpose. It's a reality that points to a greater reality. Now, when you've been healed of something by the Lord, that's a good thing, isn't it? That's a wonderful thing. It sure is. But that in itself, to all those who are with you, those you testify about it, the healing is great, but it points to the greater reality of the healer. Gifts of the Spirit are actually gifts, but they point to the greatness of the one who gave them. You know, if somebody said, well, I can prophesy. Okay, well, it doesn't say anything about you. It just says something about the one who gave you the gift. And it's him that we honor. It points to a greater reality. <clears throat> Praise God. So this first miracle that John calls a sign, it says this, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And they said to him, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Praise God.
Some would say that the wine running out, and when I, when I read that in the text, it made me smile because some, have you seen some of these greetings cards? I, I could spend quite a happy hour in these card shops just chuckling away at some of these cards. There was one I saw when we bought this card for a friend of ours who's got a dog. Uh, and it, it was of a French poodle, you know, that it looks like they've had topiary performed on them. And um, there's this man with his hand on his hip looking quite annoyed, saying, <clears throat> and thrown the ball for this dog, and the dog wasn't moving. And said, never mind, pourquoi, just fetch it. <laughs> They're just funny, aren't they? Well, I saw one, and it was about an exam. In the exam about surrealism, in the art exam about surrealism, Jacob's pen ran out. And there's this little pen with legs <laughs> making for the door. I thought of that one, and the wine ran out. <clears throat> if you saw my pictorial Bible, you'd, yes, it's not quite like others. My mind is... It needs reining in sometimes, forgive me. But it can be compared as an allegory, or an allegory of the spiritual barrenness of Judaism. We've got to understand Jesus is bringing in this new dispensation. I'm not a dispensationalist. I was, I was brought up, when I finally learnt the word, I was brought up in, in Christian circles as a premillennial dispensationalist, but you can get injections and tablets for it now to set you free. I'm not that. I'm not that. But dispensation, the Greek for that is oikonomia, and it means house rule. The way you run your house. In other words, there are different ways that God operates at different times. And Jesus was bringing in a completely new way that God was working with his people. More that people were becoming aware of this way of working because this God of grace has always been a God of grace. Don't think that the Old Testament is just a place for judgment. There's judgment in the new. Don't think that the New Testament is the only place you're going to find grace and mercy. You find it in the old. Have you noticed how the prophets often announce coming judgment? Have you noticed that? That announcement is mercy. Because he could just judge. But he announces it ahead of time. Why is that? So folk can alter. So the judgment doesn't come. His heart is not to do it. So when you tell your son, and you've met him, if you don't give over, I'm going to give you what for? That's mercy. Oh, it can be. if It, it won't always, but anyway. So we could see this as the spiritual barrenness of Judaism and the heavy legalism that the Pharisees were putting on the people. There was the law, and then in the Talmud you had all these other subsidiary laws to say 
what the interpretation of the law of Moses was. And it made people restricted even more. But wine is a symbol of the blessing of God. It's a symbol of celebration. So here was Jesus bringing a new dimension of living now to the people of God that primarily it wasn't going to be um, constriction and, and custom and all this. It was primarily going to be one of celebration. He was bringing in the fullness of life. And it says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, in verses 8 and 9, somewhere around there, it says that he was anointed with the oil of joy above and beyond his companions. Have you noticed how little children don't tend to flock round grumpy old blokes? Have you noticed that? My father-in-law... This is my first wife's dad, was not a social animal. He, he, even at, on Christmas Day, when all the family were together, he'd spend all day washing up to avoid everybody else. I know some of you ladies are saying, can I hire him? <laughs> I'm afraid you're too late. But my kids never sort of went round it. But my my dad, one thing, he was a comedian, but secondly, he was like Father Christmas in civvies. And you get kids that come out of the woodwork to be with him and sit on him and play with him, and, and he loved it. But Jesus was one whom the children flocked round, wasn't he? Ordinary people heard him gladly. Why was that? Because he wasn't putting heavy restrictions, heavy requirements upon people. He was introducing them into life that has a smile on its face. He wasn't saying there wasn't issues to deal with. Of course there are. But he could even fix those. But he was a man who people liked to be with. The only people he really upset was the religious lot. Why was that? Because they couldn't control him. I've tried, I can't either. And I heard Bob Lemon once say he'd got four PhDs. Do you know, and God's never asked his advice on anything. <laughs> and he was no party pooper either, was he? I mean, these, these, were, these folk were well-oiled, weren't they? They'd had plenty. The master of the feast said, well, it's when they don't know what they're drinking when they've had a lot. That's when you get the rough stuff out. So Jesus, apparently not being teetotal, he takes these six water jars, and most Bible commentaries will say he made between 120 and 180, not bottles, gallons of wine. Listen, when he, met, when he turns up to a party, he don't muck about. He's no party pooper. You want to celebrate? We'll celebrate. 
How long were they going to be there? They would not be fit for work following day, I'll tell you. <laughs> but isn't it interesting? It's the first of his miracles that he turns water into wine. Now, we've already read in John 1 and verse 17, it says this, the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The first miracle, the first sign that Moses performed, he turned water into blood. Now here, this is this new thing. What was that? That was the judgment of God coming on Egypt, wasn't it? Water into blood. But now one greater than Moses is here. <laughs> you remember that in John 8, you'll come to it, the woman caught in adultery, and they're accusing her, and Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. Didn't he? And then said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, and bent down and wrote again. What was all that about? That's because when Moses received the tablets of stone with the law upon it, they were inscribed with the finger of God. In my infancy, I thought that <clears throat> Moses had a Pentium 4 hammer and chisel, and God dictated it to him. But the Scripture doesn't say that. It says that the law was inscribed with the finger of God. And they're quoting Moses to Jesus, and he's knelt on the ground. They're quoting Moses, who had some of the Word, and they're quoting it to the Word, and he's knelt on the ground saying, listen, boys, I was the one that wrote it. And so Moses' first sign was water into blood. Now is Jesus saying, no, no, we're in a new day now. It's water into wine. It's not about judgment. It's about life. It's about freedom. It's about coming into liberty. That's what it's about. It's not about cleansing anymore. He said to his disciples, you need only wash your feet. Peter, you don't need a bath. You're already clean because of the word that's been spoken to you. Some of you feel filthy at times because of your conduct. Oh, he's going on to us now. <laughs> I have sometimes felt wretched. And I've thought that my mistakes, my error, even my deliberate stuff that I shouldn't have done has disqualified me. We're in a new covenant. That's not disqualified us. It might have ruined my confidence before God, but you can get it back. Why is that? Wash your feet. You don't need a bath again. You've been made clean by the word that's been spoken to you. That word that you've received is God himself coming into you. You thought it was just something spoken? It's more powerful than that. It might be transmitted by that, but it's the very nature of God that's impacting that you. That's why I say, listen to every preacher you can. Even some dead leg like me. Read everything in the Scriptures that you can. Listen to every teaching tape you can. But understand this, it's not just information you're getting. If it's the Word of God that's being proclaimed, you're getting Him. That's what this Gospel is about. Whoever wrote it down. <coughs> 
Praise God. I want you to know that our learning is good, but our learning shouldn't be a display, it should be a resource. But the, the, the reason that we learn, the reason that we walk this walk and we study and we, we grapple with Scripture and in conversation we talk these things with one another, trying to come to a greater understanding, in all of it, it's so that we might know Him. At the end of his life in Philippians, Paul says, I want to know Him. And when I read that, I thought, well, there's not much hope for the rest of us, Paul, if you don't know Him. But the word is ginosko. It's a progressive word. It means going on to know. Keep on in that going. You see, I know my wife, but I reckon I'll know her better five years from now than I do now. And the frightening thing about her is she knows what I think. She hears what I think. It is really frightening. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give her one glance and she'll say, not tonight, Josephine. Never said a word. Oh, you did, I heard you. I know what you were thinking. And she was right, it was not tonight, Josephine. Oh, sorry, but touch the sauce, Mark. <laughs> You've kept the best till now. Shut up. <laughs> not finished. That's, that's what the master of the... What's going on here? You've, he said to the bridegroom, you've kept the best till now. What's that about? It, it, there's more going on here than just a wedding. It's Jesus introducing us into this new covenant. We've celebrated it this morning. In fact, we celebrate it every day. Not necessarily with the taking of communion, although that's not a bad thing to do. Wigglesworth used to do it every day. That's not a bad thing. If it's life to you, do it. If it's a religious exercise, forget it. Have a cheese butty instead. <coughs> Francois de Toit, I think I've pronounced that incorrectly. The author of the um, mirror Bible has said this religion is that which distances and delays Jesus in this first sign it was a sign that Messiah is here and the thing for us that we need to know simply is this it's not then it's not everything's going to be okay when Jesus comes. It'll be okay when Jesus comes, he'll get us out of this mess. No, we have a job to do now. He's a God who's not just pie in the sky when we die, but steak on the plate while we wait. He's, he's a now God. The Scriptures said, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. You know, when those plagues came in Egypt and the frogs were there, and Moses said to Pharaoh, when do you want me to get rid of these frogs? And he said, tomorrow. Why not now? I mean, I don't like, I don't, do you like frogs? You know about the chap that went into a restaurant 
says, have you got frog's legs? He says, sure. He says, well, hop over at the counter and get me a cheese sandwich. <laughs> the gospel according to Tommy Cooper. Praise God. Just one or two last things is this. <clears throat> it's likely that this first sign was not performed openly because of the misconceptions of what Messiah was going to be. It was popularly held belief that when Messiah came, he would be this warrior king that was going to smite the Romans and give them their land back. In actual fact, Jesus' method was far more powerful and far more wide-ranging because even Abraham wasn't looking for Palestine. He was looking for a city not made with hands whose architect and builder is God. And if you're in Christ today, we've been tapped into the same vision. Yes, we want everything here to be as good as possible, but he's, he's got a city for us, and we're all heading that way. But there were misconceptions of what Messiah was going to be. It was interesting, a line in one of the Michael Card songs says this. It, I think the song is called El Shaddai. And it says that your most awesome work was done through the frailty of your son. And that's exactly the, the wrong kind of image of Messiah that these people held. So it was performed in private, this first sign, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now that faith would be challenged over these next few years, but it, they put their faith in him. Now I said earlier that Jesus, I believe, is the prototype of humanity. And in John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 12, Jesus said, if you have faith in me, you will do what I have been doing, and greater things will you do because I am going to the Father. And then in 1 John, written by the same fella, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, it says this, towards the end of that verse, in this world... We are like him. So I'll leave you with a question, not for you to answer me, but to answer yourselves. How am I doing being like Jesus? What sort of things am I doing that Jesus did? Here's a good one to start with. Why not forgive folk when they've upset you? So it's not an easy thing to forgive. And sometimes you have to do it through your teeth to make a start. I forgive you. Like Christine Noble, John Noble's wife, they'd had a bit of a tiff. And he went, she went for a walk, or he went for a walk. One of them went for a walk, came back, and she said, I'm sorry. And he said, well, you don't sound very sorry. She said, I didn't say I was very sorry. I'm just sorry. If you leave me alone, I might become a bit more sorry. <laughs> Father, we give you thanks for the Gospel of John. We want to thank you that it was in your wisdom that you put yourself into print.
But Father, our heart's desire is that in our understanding, in our experience, it's not just of the book, but it's of the author. Would you grant that, Holy Spirit, that we might come to know the author more and more? Amen. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.